All right, let's begin. All right, this is uh, The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is going to be episode 155. And we're going to continue, uh, like I said the last time, go over a little bit more over Pope Francis' uh, catechesis on the letter to the Galatians, uh, the prepaduic value of the law. Now, um, I don't think I can improve any more than what I did last time, but I think we can explore just a little bit um, on this, this letter. It's a very, actually, good study. I know some people are going to find it shocking, but really, despite Pope Francis's um, ideological views and despite the fact that his uh, relationship with the German bishops and uh, his uh, his transgender thing, he's he is a result of the pastoral, uh, I'm going to say it, failure of Vatican II. Uh, in a sense, he does hold Marxist socialist values. He does lean towards the uh, all that stuff with the uh, climate change and the uh, he leans towards the with the pro um, pro vaccination thing and all that stuff. But still, he's still the Pope. And even despite the Pakimama thing and all that stuff, a, a broken clock can be can can be correct twice a day, maybe once, doesn't matter. It's actually pretty good. It's a pretty good letter and it's a pretty good study. We're not going to go through everything. I want to focus on the on the scriptural passages which I did last time. Okay? What I like here, the first part, St. Paul who loved Jesus had clearly understood what salvation was. Has taught us you know, St. Paul, who loved Jesus, clearly understood what salvation was, has taught us that the children of promise, this is, he's taking this passage from Galatians chapter 4, verse 28, and I want to focus on that again, because it's a very interesting passage. And I want to, last time I read mostly, uh, I think I read the whole thing, which is related to that, that passage, okay? Um... He goes here, he, chapter 4, verse 28. Now we, brethren, like Isaac, are children of the promise. But if you go back to verse 21, all right? Uh, I always do this because I tend to pick out a passage, but then when you realize there's actually more. But here, we're going we're gonna to try to basically... We're going to go to verse 8, okay? Galatians chapter 4. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were in bondage to beings that by nature are no gods. Now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and beggarly elemental spirits whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I have labored over you in vain. Obviously, he's saying that some of them want to go back to their former way of life. 
which is in bondage. And he actually, what I think he, the way I understand it, and this is my own personal interpretation, I'm not saying it's correct, to go back to their former way of life is to be bondage in the law, although they are living outside the covenant as Gentiles. And for the Jews to be bondage to the law, under the law, in the cov in the old covenant, they were living in the preparation for grace. Right? That's technically what they were. The people in the Old Testament, their purpose was not to observe the law as the ends all. Their purpose was to put their, their faith and in the grace that would come in fulfillment, to fulfill the law. Remember what Christ said, I have come to fulfill the law of the prophets, not to break them, not to, not to, not, not to shatter them, you know, but to fulfill them. But th th that is the whole purpose of it, in a sense. Even circumcision was putting the hope in the, in, in the, in the sacrifice of Christ. When Jesus was born, he was circumcised, and that was the beginning of the, his first shedding of blood. That was the beginning of the redemption process because he was born to a woman under the law and he chose to, and he, that was his mission was to fulfill it. So here he's saying to the Gentiles, those who are converts, now you want to go back, but their spiritual condition now will be worse. Now that they know who Christ is, to reject Christ is actually with the knowledge of who he is, is dangerous. And to, and to actually, to, to go into the, um, uh, the law, the, to, to practice the rituals of the old Testament is like saying the sacrifice of Christ means nothing. You gotta, you gotta fulfill it. You have to fulfill, you have to live in the fulfillment of the law, which is in Christ. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were, now this is verse 8. Uh, yeah, okay, I read this verse 8, not 12, verse 12. Brethren, I beg you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did not, you did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And I thought my condition was a trial to you. You did not scorn or despair me but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What has become of the satisfaction uh, you felt? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them for a good purpose is always good to be made much of and not only when i am present with you my little children with whom i am again in trivial until christ be formed in you i could wish you to be present with uh, I, I i could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone for i am perplexed about you that's another thing you need like Christ in you. You need to have the form of Christ. You need to have the image of Christ. Like he says here, Christ be formed in you. 
for both Jew and Gentile, you need the life of Christ, the, the presence of Christ in you so that you can live in fulfillment of the law. You need the, because only when Christ is in us can we live in fulfillment of the law. Okay, but to live in, in practice of the law without Christ is impossible. That's why you need the fulfillment. The, the, for some Jews, and I'm not speaking in an anti-Semitic way, you need the fulfillment of Christ. You need Christ in you in order to live the law in spirit and truth. Okay. Uh, the ritual, the ritual things, the kosher stuff and everything. Those things basically had a more, I mean, I'm looking at it from, from a perspective as someone I, uh, who's a convert, not from Judaism, but from Islam. Muslims practiced halal. And they practiced it not the same way as Jews. They didn't drink alcohol. Muslims are not supposed to drink alcohol, but a lot of Muslims do drink alcohol. Uh, the kosher laws is not as strict. Uh, that is, the halal laws were not as strict as you could say Jewish Jewish uh, kosher laws are. They're different. But from someone I think who may come from Jude who comes from Judaism, they will probably be able to see some of the meanings to them. But Jesus says in the gospel. It's not what you eat that makes you unclean. It's what comes from the heart. So the kosher laws tend to have meant uh, something to do with what is sinful and what is not sinful. What is, uh, uh, you, know, you know, in a sense of there's a much more dear, uh, deeper spiritual meaning to them. Uh, the other ritualistic law of of clean and unclean again had spiritual meaning to them. You have to look deeper to find the spiritual meaning. It's obvious. Uh, the dairy laws, the the beet and dairy laws, had the same thing. I'm sure there had to be some kind of spiritual meaning in them that had related to to Christ and to understanding sin. But now that Christ is here, these things have been abolished. But they, for for some Jews in the time of Jesus, there was a there was a uh, maybe in some cases you could say not just spiritual but a deeper identity thing. It was difficult for them to give up. Paul, Paul as a trained Pharisee and a theologian, he understood it. Now. The part here where he says that Paul, St. Paul loved Jesus and clearly understood what salvation was, has taught us the children of promise. Now, I want to focus on that Pope Francis pointing to St. Paul's love for Jesus. That is very important. You cannot love what you do not know. Paul knew Jesus intimately, the resurrected Christ. Unlike the apostles, they had the experience of three and a half years or so of knowing Jesus. Paul met the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus, and that had a profound change for him. He went from a zealot Pharisee to 
a zealot believer in the resurrected Christ and in the fulfillment, everything, that encounter, Saul, Saul, why do you keep persecuting me? Persecuting me. Jesus associated the persecution of his beloved believers, his followers, as persecution of his body. To persecute Jesus, the followers, is to persecute Jesus himself. We are now members of his body. That had a profound change in, in Saul, Paul. You know, he, his, his Roman name was Paul. His Jewish name was Saul. People, can, people had two different names back then, you know, for, for, different, uh, for different parts of their, of their relationship. <laughs> but this is important because you cannot understand the theology of Jesus like Paul unless you have a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus. Unless you have, and this is basically on individual basis, not just a big uh, church body basis, a parish basis, a universal Catholic basis. That is important. That is obviously important for all of us. But Jesus has a relationship with all of us on an individual basis. Okay, and all of us are different. Like in one book I have called The Better Part, it makes it quite clear. But Christ forms his image in all of us and helps us to live the gospel. And in a sense, to live the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Is love. You cannot keep the law just by following rules, dictates, a manual. You need Christ. You need the love of Christ, which is the law of Christ, and that's love. This is... um. This is why I wanted to go back because I felt that it needed it needed a little bit more. Um, so let's continue with this Galatians here till we get to the verse here. All right. So we went from, I could wish to be present with you now and, and change my tone for I am perplexed by you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear, do you not hear the law? Now he's speaking, I think he's speaking both to the uh, those who are trying to push uh, messianic, I wouldn't say Judaism, I think it's wrong. I think it's maybe Pharisaic, uh, messianic Pharisaic uh, observance of the law. Uh, do you not hear the law? Those of you who want to observe the desire to be under the law. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and one by a free woman. But the son of the of the slave was born according to the flesh. That's Hagar's son, Ishmael. The son of the free woman through promise, which is Isaac. God promised Abraham that he would have a son with his wife, uh, Sarai, who was Sarah. Now, this is an allegory. These women are two covenants. Two covenants, okay. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. That's interesting. He switched it. This is the thing I, I wanted to get back to. He switched it. Um, Hagar is now Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. That, that, that is the part here that always caught me. Okay. 
Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth, shout you who are, who are not with labor pains, for the desolate has more children than she who has a husband. I wonder where this passage is. Okay, I think the quote that he's using is from the Subduigent version. This is 54, I'm sorry, this is Isaiah 54, verse 1. It's so tiny, I thought it said 11. It's Isaiah 54, verse 1. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry out loud. You who have not had labor pains. For the children of the desolate one will be will be more than the children of her that is married, says the Lord. This is this is why I I, I really wish we would use the Subduigent version because the quote here that Paul uses: "Rejoice, O barren who does not bear! Break forth and shout, you who are not with labor pains." It's I think it's more closer to the for the desolate one desolate has more children than she who has a husband. I think it's he uses the Subduigent here more, but I really, I really want to have to get myself a Subduigent translation. Uh, now we, brethren, like Isaac, are children of the promise. But as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So it is now. What does the scripture say? Cast out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave shall not inherit with the son of the free woman, says. So, the brethren, we are not children of the slave, but, the, but of the woman, of the free woman. That is the one, Jerusalem in heaven. So it's in interesting that he doesn't associate the Jerusalem on earth with Isaac and Sarah, but instead he switched it and he associated the Jerusalem on earth with Ishmael and Hagar, which also he associated with, uh, he said, the present one, which uh, he says now now the Jews are, are more to the woman, to uh, Ishmael and Hagar. And then he took um, Hagar and Isaac and he, and he made them represent the Christians. So now the Jews who are under the law are more associated with Ishmael and Hagar. And then he, and then he said the Christians now are associated with Sarah and Isaac in heaven, which is a heavenly Jerusalem. It's, 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 a, it's, it's, a, it's, it's definitely a clever twist there. And it's very interesting. So that's that's how he associates it. So this is why I wanted to focus on it a little bit more. It was um it's very interesting. I didn't expect that, but it's uh I think I don't think the uh the uh practicing Jews would find Paul's uh allegory here very complimentary. Um uh, because even though yes. It, it, they were cast out, 
Hagar and Ishmael in the Old Testament because Sarah wanted it. But now he's saying that the ones who are cast out are the ones who rejected Jesus. And the Jerusalem on earth is the one now who is the slave woman and the child of the flesh. Because he's saying that they're focusing on circumcision and they're focusing as on the law as their salvation instead of Yeshua, instead of Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb of God. That's not that's not what it is. He switched it around. Uh very interesting. Very interesting indeed. I mean, you know, when you when you come back to these things, this is why you're always going to get more. The, the Holy Spirit is always going to show you more. So it's very interesting. Okay, so okay, so that is all of us justified by Christ. He said the children of the promise are those who are justified by Christ. We are now with the heavenly Jerusalem. But he doesn't mention, notice in that passage in Galatians, he never mentions Sarah. I mean, he does mention Isaac, but we, you know, it's it's very interesting how he he mentions the name of the of the of, of Mount Hagar in Arabia. Okay, so that is all of us are justified by Christ, are no longer bound by the law, but are called to the demanding lifestyle of the freedom of the gospel. This part I like. I like these words. The demanding lifestyle of the freedom of the gospel. The law, however, exists, but there exists another way. The same law, the Ten Commandments, but with another way. Because it could no longer be justified by itself once the Lord had come. And therefore, in today's catechesis, I would like to explain all this. And we ask, what according to the letter to the Galatians is the role of the law? In the passage we have heard, Paul says that the law was like a pedagogia. It is a beautiful image that of a pedagogy who spoke about during the last, we spoke about in the last audience, but an image that deserves to be understood in its correct meaning. The apostle seems to suggest that Christians divide the history of salvation into parts and also his personal story. There are two periods before becoming believers in Christ Jesus and after receiving the faith. And at the center is the event of the death and resurrection of Jesus, which Paul preaches in order to inspire faith in the Son of God, the source of salvation. And Christ Jesus was in, in and in Christ Jesus we are justified. Now this is this is all of us. Regardless if you what well, I think if you're born a Catholic, born a Christian baptized as a baby, confirmed, given First Communion, and like say someone like myself who was a convert, I had it before and I had an afterlife. And you know, in Christ, there was a life, my life before, before being a Christian, before receiving Christ, and my life after. And Paul, Paul is all of us. Paul is all of us. Rather you are born, because how many people are born a Catholic, but they, you know, they all, they all say it, they never really thought much of their faith, and some of them just took it for granted. And so many of them strayed away. Many of them have abandoned it, and many of them have come back. That is a constant conversion. It's a constant conversion process. Unlike some of those particular Christians who count how, how when they were saved, but they don't realize the conversion process is constant. 
even I myself have to admit that I have grown and changed a lot through the years. I've had setbacks. I've had momentary setbacks. I've had momentary setbacks when I've fallen into sin. I've had momentary setbacks when I've... And I still have momentary setbacks. Even now, I have, I have momentary setbacks. I'm not proud of them. I have momentary setbacks like everyone else. So there is always a moment outside the cross and there was a moment back in the cross. So it's a constant conversion process. To just label it to one particular event is wrong. Paul himself keeps talking about he had setbacks. So when we have those momentary setbacks, it's like a moment where we go back under the law. And then we find Christ. And then we find ourselves now living as a child of promise. So it's always going to be a momentary setback. So the cross is always in the center of your life. Always in the center of your life. And, you know, I like the words, the demanding life of the gospel. The demanding, the you know, the, you know that, I love those words. I don't know why it caught me. You know, but are, you know, no longer by, bound by the law, but are called to the demanding lifestyle of the freedom of the gospel, the demanding lifestyle, the freedom of the gospel. Those words really stand out. I love them. I have to say that. I really, really love those words. Uh, okay, so <clears throat> going back to that, uh, where we left off. At the center of the event of the death and resurrection of Jesus, which Paul preached in order to inspire faith in the synagogue, the source of salvation, and, and in Christ Jesus, we are justified. Therefore, starting from faith in Christ, there is a before and after, uh, and with regard to the law itself, because the law exists, the commandments exist, but there is another, uh, there is one attitude before coming of Jesus, another afterwards. The previous history is determined by being under the law and, and one who follows the path of the law was saved, justified. The subsequent history after the coming of Jesus was to be lived by following the Holy Spirit. Now we got Galatians chapter 5 verse 25 and I want to look into that. Okay. Okay, I have here Okay, I'm open up to Galatians here. So let's go to 5.25. All right, so 5.25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us have no self-conceit, no, no provoking of one another, no envy of one another. But let's go back to the beginning of this chapter. Christian freedom, chapter 5, Galatians, for, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. There you go. I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is bound to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from Christ. For through the Spirit by faith we, we wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is of any avail. 
but faith working through love. You were running well. Who who hindered you from obeying the truth? But uh, uh, this persuasion is not from him who called you. A little leaven leavens all the dough. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. And he who is troubling you will bear his judgment, uh, whoever he is. But if I, brethren, still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the stumbling block of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would mutilate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, be servants of one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit and do not gratify the desire of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you would. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are plain, immorality, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, party spirit, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now here's verse 25, the last part. Now, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us have no self-conceit, no provoking of one another, no envy of one another. There you go. Now, I wanted to read all that chapter so that we can get, get a clear understanding of what Paul is saying here and what, point, what, what Pope Francis is trying to point out. He's not saying that the Ten Commandments and the law are not useful they're not important what he's saying is paul is saying because this is paul's words we have to remember not pope francis's words pope francis is simply saying what paul is saying that we need to live in christ in the spirit of christ the holy spirit basically the trinity in order to keep the law in spirit in other words before they kept the law, the law was, was their salvation. The rituals was their salvation. But that is for some Jews. Other Jews looked towards the redemption, like, you know, Zachariah and Elizabeth, Simeon, Simeon who took the child Jesus in his arms, uh, and, you know, and even, uh, other Jews who were looking forward to the redemption. I mean, we see that in, in, in the letter of the Hebrews, 
which, you know, I mean, my own personal view, I believe it's St. Paul. It doesn't say St. Paul, but I believe it's St. Paul. But I, I do believe it, unless, you know, that it's it's St. Paul. But they were looking to the redemption. They were looking to the fulfillment of it. You know, you have to have a bigger picture. You have to see what is, if 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 you really believe that God gave your people the, the commandments and the law and the prophets, there has to be a bigger picture. There has to be a bigger, bigger picture of this. There has to be some bigger purpose to all of it. God's uh, in all of it. Instead of this one little strip of land, which is supposed to be the promised land, it's supposed to be the picture of the fulfillment of the future when Christ will fulfill, Christ will finally fulfill everything and create a new heaven, a new earth. Israel is Israel. The Jewish people were a fulfillment, a picture of the church in the future. They are the people of the promise. They are the people of the covenant. Paul makes it quite clear, but there's a bigger plan here. All that happened, everything that happened was to point to the future, a typology of the future, as one priest said once on a podcast I listened to. There has to be. And, and you know, the temple is the picture of the church, but with that, but now we don't live by animal sacrifices. Imagine if we had to do that. Imagine if we, if we had to follow that. No. What happened was eventually is that some Jews could not deal with the idea of Gentiles entering the faith. They could not deal with the idea of no more temple sacrifices. They could not deal with the idea of no more um, of the identity of their Judaism from from all the rituals. They couldn't. They couldn't break away with that. It's a, it was a psychological thing. It's understandable. Because we see that a lot, like, you know, I know this because in my culture, uh, Middle Eastern culture, you know how some people, they immigrate here and all of a sudden they're more Muslim than they were before and they're more Arab than they were before. You know, people can be more Chinese now than they were before and more Guatemalan. You know, you see friends and they're more Dominican and they're more Mexican than they were before they, they, before they came here. It's because they finally found, found themselves in a foreign land where there's so much multiculturalism and uh, and it's not everyone is like themselves and they find themselves like, you know, I know friends at work, more Albanian than probably than they were Albanian before. But they're, a lot of them are doing, are doing very well, but some of them, it's hard because they, they, they made a conscious decision of immigrating Maybe they didn't realize the cost. They didn't realize the changes. And a lot of it has a lot to do with the fact that we have technology now that actually helps people keep more in touch with their culture than ever before. So I think it makes um, assimilating sometimes more harder, maybe, you know. But think about it with Judaism. It became more of an identity. And we see that. We see Orthodox Hasidic Jews. And we see that they're the desperation to hold on to their heritage. But now it's more of, I think, for some, it's more of a heritage and more of an ethnic identity. But Paul here is focusing on the theology. And he's focusing on the fulfillment in Christ. That's what makes this so important and what Pope Francis is focusing on. He's focusing on 
How do we keep the law? We keep it through Christ. We keep it through him. We fulfill the law. We fulfill everything in him. He is our fulfillment. He is our redemption. He is our atonement. Everything we need is in him. He is, he is all that we need and we can, we, we will, you know, we can fulfill it through him only. He, he guides us in it. All right, let's move on to the next, uh, the next part. Okay, let's get going. Okay. Uh, this is the first time Paul uses the expression to be under the law. The underlying meaning implies the idea of negative servitude, typical of slaves to be under. The apostle makes it explicit by saying that when one is under the law, it is as if one is watched and locked up, a kind of preventative custody. This period says that Paul has lasted, Paul, this, per, this period, Paul says, lasted a long time, from Moses, the coming of Jesus, and perpetuated as long as one lives in sin. As it's as I'm going to say it, all that happened in Egypt, everything, all the miracles, and then finally when they get to Sinai, they build the golden calf. They were no different than the Egyptians. They were no different than their pagan neighbors. They acted. They didn't act like a chosen people. They acted like people who did not know God. And when Moses on that mountain and receiving the Ten Commandments, they didn't just build a golden calf. They committed every moral atrocity you could possibly. They were immoral, adultery, murder, uh, sodomy, you, you name it. They be, it was a Baca party. It was like a, a pagan Greek party where all the, the, the immorality began and they behaved like that. And guess what? They, what they should have been doing throughout all that time was meditate, meditate, meditate on what God did for them. Why did he do this for us? Why did he do this for us? Why did he part the Red Sea? Why did he send those 10 plagues? Why did he, uh, you know, uh, send a pillar of fire to block the Egyptians? Why did he drown the Egyptians? What was the meaning of these miracles? Remember, you got to dig under the miracle. You can't just focus on the material side of the miracle. It's a, it's a fantastic thing. But what is the inner meaning of it? What is the purpose of it? Why did God choose to do it now? And that's the whole point. That's what they should have been doing. But they didn't. They didn't. And that's what we should do. We should focus on what does it mean? What does it mean for me to be a Christian? What does it mean to me? What does it mean? In order to keep your Christian faith alive and to keep, and to keep your relationship with God alive, focus on the miracle. Focus on the miracle of your salvation. <clears throat> The relationship between the law and sin will be explained more systematic way by the apostle in his letter to the Romans, written a few years after the one to the Galatians. In summary, the law leads to the definition of the transgression and to making people aware of their own sin. You have done this and so the law. The Ten Commandments say thus, you are in sin or rather as common experience teaches, the precept ends up simulating the transgression. In the letter to the Romans, he writes, when we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to be 
to, to bear fruit for death. But now we are discharged from the law, dead to that which held us captive. Romans chapter 7, verse 5 and 6. This is interesting. This is part of is always something that I need to uh, spend more time. When we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are discharged from the law, dead to that which held us captive. <sighs> yeah, you know, I guess the best way I can say, you know, when you try to avoid sin, it's amazing how those sinful passions start to rise up. Those temptations start to rise up. Um, you know, I mean, seriously, come on, we let's, let's be honest. You know, if you're used to looking into pornography or let's say you, um, you see an attractive woman on the train or you're walking in the park and there's maybe, or, or how about this? You walk, walk through the city during the summertime. I mean, I don't know, someone, uh, I didn't read the memo. Uh, they're half undressed now. I mean, it's, it, it's like, uh, all, all of them now are wearing, uh, pants that are cut too short and they're wearing uh, bikini bras now and everything. And guess what? All of a sudden, you all that time when you're trying to focus on being having modest eyes, suddenly you're challenged. And that's the point of it. The law, I guess when the, you know, it's more, um, it's more arousing the minute you try, you try to be holy because you're your sinful nature, your lower carnal nature is being denied. And I guess the devil finds out. He gets the memo. Uh-oh, that person over there wants to be a saint. Got to stop him. Got to put him back. You know, got to, you know, got to put him back under those temptations now. And the devil knows our weaknesses better than any, than we know ourselves. Um, And that's, and, and that's the thing to be, you know, the point is, I think, it's not denying yourself, it's admitting. So, yeah, and I think this is something we all have to be aware of. We all have to be aware of this. We have to, I think, not deny yourself, admit, I think, admit it. You know, when I um, started having the ringing in my ears, the tinnitus, um, yeah, I, I made the unfortunate uh, decision to get the vaccine because of my job. And unfortunately, I got the Moderna. And after the first shot uh, uh, I took, a couple of days later, I had ringing in my ears. Uh, and my left side, the worst. I still have it now and then. Even now when I'm doing a podcast, I can actually hear it. But it's uh, it's like a ghost ringing. Uh, but what happens is is this, is that... The best way I learned, I read a few things because there's really no cure for it. Uh, I read, I listened to people on, on YouTube and other places. I know people think that's the worst place, but it isn't actually. You can you just have to sift through the right information, listen to the right people. Focus on it. Focus on it. And you will see that it begins to slightly fade away because it means your mind doesn't want to doesn't want to pay attention to it. Instead of trying to ignore it, focus on it. I think the only way you can avoid sin is admit to the sin. Admit, admit it, not deny it. Because when you deny it, you're letting it get stronger. 
I think this is the best way. I'm not a I'm not a, I'm not a spiritual director, but I believe you have to face it. Because what is it we have to do when we go to confession? We have to confess our sins. And the minute we get there, we feel guilty about confessing it. That's that's your sinful nature in wanting wanting to be in denial. But when you admit to it, it gets weaker. And the great and the grace that's given to you gets stronger, or you not stronger, but you you begin to get stronger in the grace that's given to you, and that's the best way to do it. I don't think because I think the fact that our sinful passions are aroused by it is because we're in denial. All right, so let's go to the next part here. Why? Because the justification by Jesus Christ, okay, but now we are discharged from the law, dead to that which held us captive. Because we're stronger and therefore we don't, you know, we don't have to we don't have to um live under un, under under the sin. Held us captive. Now we gotta go to uh, Romans chapter seven, verse five and six. Okay, wait. Okay. It's a little glare here. All right. Um here it is. While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Okay. But now we are discharged from the, from the law, dead to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. Okay. So... New life in the spirit. So that's that's that uh, this chapter here. So now let's go back and let's go back to verse one. The analogy with marriage. Do you not know, brethren? For I am speaking to those who know who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only during his life. Thus, a married woman is bound by law to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is discharged from the law concerning the husband. Accordingly, she would be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brethren, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to an, uh, belong to another to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God while we were living in the flesh our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death but now we are discharged from the law, dead to that which held us captive, so that we serve un, not, un, not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. Okay, that's the part where we, where we ended that, that verse. Let's continue to verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I should not have been... Uh, I should have I should not have known sin. I should not have known what it is to be to covet if the law had had not said you shall not covet, but sin, finding an opportunity in the commandment, wrought in me all 
all kinds of covetousness apart from the law. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was I once I was once lived uh, alive apart from the law, but when the commandments came, sin revived and I died. The very command commandment which promised life proved to be death to me, for sin finding an opportunity in the commandments deceived me and by it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. Did that which is did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means it was sin working death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might have become sinful beyond measure. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, solid, sold under sin. I did not understand my own actions, for I did not know what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. So then it is no longer I that, that do it, but sin which dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what, 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 is, might, what is right, but I cannot... I cannot, sorry, hold on, but I cannot do it, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want it, it is no longer I that do it, but sin which dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my innermost self. But I see in my members another, uh, another law at war, with the law of my mind making me captive to the law of sin, which dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of, of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I of myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So this is something that, we have to take time to read, but the fact that this is the verse that Pope Francis wants us to look at is very interesting. And also you got to be careful because remember Martin Luther got himself into trouble and um, he didn't understand. The idea is we have to be conscious of your sinful nature. You have to be conscious of your temptation. This is how some people get themselves in trouble when they're in denial of it, when they're in denial of it, they try to, you try to justify it. When you commit the sin, what is the first thing we want to do? Sometimes we want to be in denial and you want to put the blame. This is how some people want to put the blame, let's say, on a young woman that might be beautiful, attractive, right? You're, 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 you know, you're captivated by her. She's a young, pretty attractive girl. Some guys do this to themselves, right? And what do they do? They take advantage of her. They commit an act of rape. And what, and what do they try to do? They try to put the blame on her because she's beautiful, because she's attractive. Uh, I hate to say this, but a lot of Muslims do that. A lot of Muslim men do that. I know this because I come from that culture. I was never a practicing Muslim, but I've been around them. And I've seen how they treat young women from other cultures who, who, let's say, work as a cashier in the store. 
a lot of times these guys, they harass them, sexually harass them. I mean, I've been, I've seen things working in my father's supermarket where a lot of Muslim men harass uh, some young, attractive woman because uh, she's beautiful. They get, they, 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 um, they go out of place. They, they, they step out of line and a lot of girls are, you know, you can see they're hurt how they're being treated. They're just trying to make money to support themselves, to pay for school or to go to the family. And, you know, you see customers that come in. Some, you know, some customers that come in, they may wear uh, tight clothes or something like that and everything. And they get and they get out of place and they want to put the blame on the young woman. It's easy when you come from a misogynistic culture to put the blame on the young woman. It's understandable. Yes. Is it right that they're dressed scantily? No. But is it right to blame them for your own actions? No. But they do that because they want to deflect that it's their fault and they want to put the blame on the young woman. That is wrong. That is absolutely wrong. Your actions are your actions and you're responsible for them. Okay? So let's, you know, you have to be aware of your own temptations. You have to be aware of your arousal to sin. You have to be aware. The law is there to point out that you are in sin, that you are giving in to sin. That is your fault. The law is there to point this out. This is where you need grace. And okay, and I think in a in a culture like the Jews, it might have been very similar, let's say, to those who who are rigid about their about their 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 rituals but not rigid about not being conscious you have to be conscious of your sins you have to be conscious of you of of, of what you're doing remember like the woman who was caught in adultery they brought her to Jesus in John's gospel and they want they wanted to they wanted Jesus to agree to stoning her and Jesus instead turns it around and goes down and writes with his finger in the sand and then tells them he who was without sin cast the first stone. He turned it on them. This is what we're supposed to do. Look, be conscious of ourselves. That's the best way I can look at it. It's not perfect, but it's the best way. All right, let's next one we got to go to is. Okay. Okay, so let me just read this one, one part. Because the justification of Jesus Christ has come, this is Pope Francis talking, Paul uh, scantily expresses his vision of the law. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 50, uh, 15, verse 56, a dialogue, you are under the law, and you are there with the door open to sin. Let's check this out. Okay, so... Why, okay, this, we read this part here uh, from Romans. Why? Because the justification of Jesus Christ has come. Paul scantily expresses his vision of the law. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56, A dialogue, you are under the law, and you are there with the door open to sin. Let's check this out. Okay. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But that, but thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so I'm going to read 
try to read the whole thing because I think it's appropriate. Uh, he does go back here and he focuses on the resurrection of, the, of Christ. So I think in order to understand it, we should read the whole thing, right? Uh, chapter 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brethren, in what terms I preached to you the gospel, which you received, in which you stand, stand, by which you are saved, if you hold it fast, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brethren at, at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God which is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that he, that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. If it is true, then the dead are not raised. Now, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. For if this life, if this life only we have hoped in Christ, were all of men, uh, of all, of, uh, we, uh, we of all men must be pitied. <clears throat> but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruit, then at his coming those who belong in Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every and, and power. For he must reign until he, he has just put all his enemies under his feet. Then the last enemy to be delivered is death. For God has put all things in subjugation under his feet. But, but when it says all things are put in subjugation under him, it is plain that he is, he, he is accepted who put all things under him. When all things are subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be everything to every one.
Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why, why am I in peril every hour? I protest, brethren, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with the beast at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, to, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Come to your right mind and sin no more. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. But some, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What what kind of body do they come? Do they come? You foolish men! What you saw, what you sow, does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body which is to be, uh, which is to bear carnal, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its, its own body. For not all flesh is alike, but there is one kind of men, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are celestial bodies and there are terrestrial, terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, but the glory of the territorial is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in, in a physical body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual which is first, but the physical and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, as was the man of dust. So are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been, we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perish perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable. And so we shall be changed, for this perishable nature must be put on the imperishable, and this mortal nature must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and immovable, always unbounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 
Okay, so I wanted to read the whole thing because I wanted to see where the passage that Pope Francis picked out, and it was course 56, all right? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, which is, goes to verse um, 57. So we see here that basically, you know, the law, you have to be conscious of sin. And if you live in the law, you're living in basically in a state of uh, the flesh. And if you, uh, the law basically is there to point it out, but it's your duty to be conscious of your actions, to be conscious of the sin. The law is there to just point out, to make it, to make it more clear, like a magnifying glass, right? Basically to point out that this is the problems you're having. And the thing is some focus on the physical observance of the law but not, not, the, um, not the spiritual part, not the part where you have to pray more. You have to look towards the strength and the grace to overcome it. Uh, it's not like that, unfortunately, with a, you know, with a lot of people. I think maybe you know, when you just focus on ritual and not the, not, not the, inner, the inner of the spirit, and that's where the problem lies, I think. You know, it's true. You know, some people, like I said, uh, you know, in that culture, like Islam, they don't want to, they're not conscious of their behavior. In some cases, it's like acting like, uh, you're almost acting like an animal. You know, and it's also very shallow, very black and white attitude, I think. Uh not looking, not looking at yourself. You're, proje you're, you're projecting. You're, you're deflecting. Okay. All right. So we want to go, move on. Okay. So let's continue. In this context, the reference to the pedagogical role played by the law makes full sense. But the law is the pedagogy, that is the, um, the, the uh, student teacher, that it leads you. That leads you where? To Jesus. You know, in the scholastic system of antiquity, the pedagogy did not have the function we attribute to him today, namely, that is, of supporting the education of a boy or girl. At the same time, he was instead a slave whose task was to accompany the master's son to the teacher and then bring him, bring him home again. In this way, he was to protect his ward from danger and watch over him to ensure he did not behave badly. His function was rather disciplinary. When the boy became an adult, the pedagogy ceased his duties. The pedagogies to whom Paul refers to was not the teacher, but the one who accompanied his ward to school, who watched over the boy and brought him back home. Okay, sort of like you can say uh, the babysitter almost. It was, it was basically he was a babysitter. He was to hold him by the hand, bring him to school, and then make sure he doesn't get into trouble and then bring him back home again. Later on, you could say it became like the governor or the governess. The governess would basically be the one that would, you know, they would hire one very educated. Like you ever saw those uh, Victorian films like uh, the Dickens or something, Charles Dickens and other. There would be a governor who, uh, governess who would 
be educated, know French, maybe a little Latin, maybe some Greek. And they would be teaching the kid in school uh, till the kid finally goes off to boarding school. You know, that's what the rich did. Um, referring to the law there uh, the in, in these terms, St. Paul clarifies the role it played in the history of Israel. The Torah, that is the law, was an act of magnanimity by God towards his people. After the election of Abraham, the other great act was the law, laying down the path to follow. It's, it certainly had rest, uh, restrictive functions, but at the same time, it, had, it protected the people. It had educated them, disciplined them, and supported them in their weakness, especially by protecting them from paganism. There were many pagan ad attitudes in these times. The Torah says there's only one God, and he has set, has set us on our way. An act of goodness by the Lord, and certainly, as I said, it is had a restrictive function, but at the same time, it protected the people, it had educated them, it had disciplined them, and it supported them in their weakness. And, and this is why the apostle goes on to describe the phrase of minor age. And he says, heirs, as long as they, re they are minors, are no better than slaves. But you have to understand something. I want to make it quite clear. A slave back then is not the same way as we think about, like the way we had um, in the southern part of the United States where they owned slaves. Back then in ancient times, uh, a slave was part of the household, part of the family. Uh, the slave had a room, had food, board, and even had a part-time job in some cases. Uh, made a little extra money, but he belonged to the household. And everything he owned, the master owned. And whatever the master gave him. Sometimes they would be married. Uh, if the master permitted it. And sometimes a slave could work part-time jobs and pay <laughs> his master for his freedom if it, if they agreed to a contract. They were educated. They would uh, know multiple languages. They would be responsible for a lot of things. Uh, you know, like I said, they would have time for themselves off. They would agree. But the thing is, it was not like the way you think... Uh, the way the southern part of the United States had a slave, it was different. They were part of the family and they were members of the family. Sometimes they might even get adopted and they might even marry. If the master wanted, they, uh, you know, say if he had a daughter, the daughter might marry the slave, I, you know, in some cases, depending on regions, if they permitted it. But it was not what we think, you know, like now they would be educated Sometimes the master would buy a slave who was educated in Greek, educated in, in philosophy, educated in rhetoric. It was not the same thing. And so they can be instructors too. I want to point that out. Okay. Air, okay. And he says, uh, let me see. I might lost my place here. Sorry. Um, yeah. Heirs, as long as they are minors, are no better than slaves, though they are the owners of all their property, but they remain under uh, guardians and trustees until the date is set by the father. So with us, while we were minors, we were enslaved to the elemental spirits of, of the world. This is from Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. I'm not going to read it again because I already read it. In summary, the, apostle conviction, con the apostle's conviction is that the law certainly possesses a 
positive function, like the pedagogy in, in accompanying his ward, but it is a function that is limited in time. It cannot extend its duration it's too far because it is linked to the maturation of the individual and their choice of freedom. Once uh, one has come to faith, the law exhausts its preparatory uh, value and it must give way to another authority. What does this mean? That after the law, we can say we believe in Jesus Christ and do whatever we want? No, the commandments exist, but they do not justify us. We, what makes us just is Jesus Christ. The commandments must be observed, but they do not give us justice. There is no, there is, there is the gratitudinous of Jesus Christ, the encounter with Jesus Christ that freely justifies us. The merit of faith is receiving Jesus. They only merit uh, opening the heart. And what do we do with the commandments? We must observe them, but as an aid to the encounter with Jesus Christ. Uh, the teachings of the value of the law is very uh, important and deserves to be considered carefully so we do not give way to misunderstandings and take false steps. It is good for us to, ta uh, to, to ask ourselves if we still live in the period in which we need the law or, in, or, or if instead we are fully aware of having received the grace of becoming children of God so as to live in love. How do I live? In the fear that if I do not do this, I will go to hell, or I, or I do, uh, or I, or do I live with the hope too, with the joy of the gratuitousness of salvation in Christ, Jesus Christ? It is a good question, and also the second: Do I discard the commandments? No, I observe them, but not as abs uh, absolutes, because I know that it is Jesus Christ who justifies me. This is the part here. Again, I pointed out where everybody took it out of context, uh, which was very disappointing because nobody read the whole letter. Nobody bothered to read the whole letter. And I, I don't know why they, because if you read the whole thing, you figure out what he, what Pope Francis was saying. We keep the law in Jesus. We do not observe the law as an end by itself. The law is important. Because Christ said, I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. So he did not, he did not say that the law is not important. It is important, but we observe it through Christ. It's no longer the training wheels, as I said before. It's no longer the, you know, the bicycle on training wheels. At some point, the training wheels come off. At some point, the kid and the kid still wears the helmet. He should wear the helmet. A lot of kids don't wear the helmet, right? And they should be careful. A lot of kids are not careful, you know? Um, it's it's still there. It's up to the parent. It's up to um, the babysitter to make sure. It's up to, you know, it's up to the kid at some point to be, to be responsible. But a lot of people don't, um, I don't think they really get that. Uh, you know, I think it's sad that all the critics, especially some of them I respect, uh, and I hold, I disagree with some of the things they say, but I respect them, that they don't, they don't really pay attention to this. We, it, the whole point of everything I wanted to read here, all right, and maybe I should go back and read that one to four again, because I know it probably, 
I don't like leaving people hanging. Chapter 4, verses 1. All right, I'll read the whole paragraph. Chapter 4. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no better than a slave, though he is the owner of all, of all the estate. But he is under guardians and trustees until the date set by the father. So with us. When we were children, we were slaves to the elemental spirits of the universe. But when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent, sent the spirit of the son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So through God, you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir. All right, so you see, this is, this is the point. Now that we have Christ, we keep everything. Jesus himself said it, like the one who brings out new treasures and old treasures from the master's house. The, the, the law, the prophets, the commandments, and then everything that the Son of God gives us. All are important. All are important for us to observe and to invest our time in. It's important in order, in order for us to be close to Jesus. We need that. All right, this is where the letter ends. I'm not going to read the, um, the summary and the greeting because I read already enough. But I finally did it. I finally did this part. I wanted to do it. I think, you know, it could I've done better, I'm sure. But I wanted to go through it with, the, um, with all the... Uh, the, the scripture passages because I felt it was important to read the whole thing. All right, folks, uh, I'll end it here. Uh, let's say a Hail Mary for the Pope in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. God bless and be well.